You're listening to NBS Cast with hosts Rachel Edwards and Raquel Roberts. Welcome back to NBS Cast. I'm your host, Rachel. And I'm Raquel. And Raquel, I'm so excited because today <laughs> is episode two of our Associate Hobbies and Special Interest series. Yay! We have a great guest on today who's going to talk to us about a very special hobby, but I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm going to let her tell us about it, but we have Felicia Leach with us today. Hello, Felicia. We're so glad to have you here. Hello, ladies. Thanks for inviting me. Glad to have you back on a podcast. If you could, before we start asking you about why you're here today, just introduce yourself. We've said your name already. We do this all the time. <laughs> but if you could, again, just tell us your name, how long you've been with NBS and your current position so we can know just a little bit more about you, that would be great. You bet. So yes, I am Felicia Leach. I am a regional vice president for the sales team. So I cover East Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. I'm actually coming to you from Montgomery, Alabama today, and I am near the airport. So if you hear airplanes in the background, that's what it is. I have been with the company now a little over 14 years. So I started on the Ren website and came over with that merger and uh, absolutely love what I do. Awesome. Thank you so much. And yes, we are so excited to have you today. So let's not keep everyone waiting. What hobby are you here to talk to us about today, Felicia? I am a scuba diver. So that is my passion. And so I absolutely love it. I'm just coming back off of a trip to Cozumel. So my husband and I went to Mexico last week and spent seven days diving. We made a couple of dives a day. So I call it my blue water and bubble therapy. So (laughs) actually cheaper than a therapist, but in way more relaxing. Well, I can't wait to hear more about your trip specifically to Cozumel. Mm -hmm. But before we jump into that, I want to know, how did you get interested in scuba diving? Well, I blame that all on my husband. It's all his (laughs) fault. So I'll tell you a little bit about my my father-in-law was born and raised in the Cayman Islands. Mm. And so my husband is half Caymanian. And um, my father-in-law and mother-in-law built a house there that was going to be their retirement home. And they actually both passed before it was finished Mm. or totally finished, I should say. So Mm -hmm. when I met my husband, I knew that he was a diver and I said, look, I barely swim. So don't expect (laughs) me. Um, It's just water wasn't something that I grew up around a whole Mm -hmm. lot. So If I had to save myself swimming, forget it. I'm drowning. (laughs) And I had been, I had snorkeled only one time on a cruise. It was one of the worst experiences I've ever had. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah, it was terrible. So he said, well, I tell you what, let's get you some really good gear and try it again and see what you think. I'm like, okay, but don't expect a lot. And so We actually went to the Cayman Islands the summer before we got married. We went with his brother and sister-in-law, and we bought new gear for me. In fact, I still use some of that gear today. That was 25 years ago. Um, Actually, 25 years ago last month. Wow. When we flew in, I was like, the water's blue. He's like, (laughs) yeah, the water's blue. I'm like, no, no, no. I grew up in Texas. The water's brown. And so... (laughs) That amazed me first thing. And then when we went under, you know, we started snorkeling. He took me out in the water. I was terrified. I'm like, do you have a life vest for me? He's like, you don't need a life vest. It's salt water. I'm like, I don't swim. (laughs) But then we got out there and I realized, wow, I float. Those of us who are a little fluffier, um, if you know me, I, I know the facts. It's not a secret, right? Those of us who are fluffier, we float really well in salt water. <laughs> I love it. I'm the only place I can don't have to worry about my weight. <laughs> so we went out snorkeling and I was blown away. There were so many absolutely gorgeous fish. The colors are incredible. 
I didn't know fish had color, right? I grew up in Texas. All the fish are green or brown. I didn't know fish had color. I couldn't get enough. And the longer we were out, I mean, he held my hand. So I was very confident. It gave me that comfort that I need. And we would snorkel. We would go out and spend hours. Wow. I fell in love with it. I had good equipment. It wasn't leaking. My mask before when I was on the cruise would fill up with water. And I'm like, I'm going to drown in this mask. (laughs) And so he got me equipment that didn't leak. Fell in love with that. That was in July when we went the first time we got married in September. And the following year, we took some friends with us and we decided we would go out on the dive boat and we would snorkel on top while he dove. Well, it only took the first time he hit the water and went down and I watched him the whole time. We saw a couple of fish. It was really, it was deep water. So it was a hundred feet on a deep dive. We saw a couple of fish and things. He came up talking about everything that he saw. And I thought, oh, I have to do that. There is no way you can go see all of that. And I can't. So for Christmas that year, he gave me scuba lessons. He did every pool time dive with me. He did every checkout dive with me. And we went on Valentine's weekend. I did my checkout dive. So it was 40 degrees outside. The water was like 68. I was freezing. (laughs) But I, I passed my checkout dives with him right behind me, watching everything that I did. And lo and behold, I got pregnant before we got to go on our first dive. So... 18 months later, <laughs> we we went to the Cayman Islands. I made my first dive and I was hooked. Oh, wow. I absolutely love being under the sea. And if you've never done it before, it's a little claustrophobic. Yeah. Mm. I spent a lot of my first dives praying and mm. talk, you know, mm-hmm. just trying to talk myself, calm down. But as beautiful as the world is, above the sea, God made us equally a beautiful world under the sea. And most people never get to see it. So I was hooked. There's no phones. There's no email. (laughs) There's no text messages. It's just you quiet and bubbles. That's it. Mm. Love, love, love it. I was hooked from that point. I was like, I could do this every single day. Wow. Well, the way you explain it sounds so relaxing. I could just imagine like the sound of bubbles. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. Now, before we get too deep into our conversation, can you, Felicia, talk a little bit about the vocabulary or terms that are used often that have to do with scuba diving so we can kind of get the lingo and, and understand a little bit? And from what we understand, isn't scuba an acronym itself? It is. Scuba means self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. Oh. Scuba is a whole lot shorter. Yeah. <laughs> and with when you with scuba, you have some very basic equipment, right? You have what you call a BC or BCD is what it's actually called and that means a buoyancy compensation device. It looks like a jacket or sometimes it looks like a little harness that you wear. Mine looks like a vest, so it zips up the front, but it actually has air pockets. So you can air it up. It helps you to float, but you also put weights in it. So as I mentioned, those of us who are fluffier, we float really well. (laughs) Well, that's bad when you're trying to get down 80 to 100 feet, right? Um, and when we dive, the maximum depth we go is 100 feet, a recreational dive. When you're trying to get down 100 feet and you've got to sink all of that extra flotation built onto you, <laughs> you need a little extra weight. And so the BC holds my weights. They're integrated. So it has pockets built specifically for diving weights, but it also inflates So you use a combination of weight and tiny bits of air in your BC to make you buoyant, meaning I can control underwater the depth that I'm floating. So if I want to stay closer to the bottom, I dump my air and just let my weight sink me. But then I might give it a little burst of air to let me float and hover, if you will, 
I want to hover just above the bottom. And so you use your BC to do that and a combination of breathing. So I can take in a breath and I can let that breath in my lungs also help me to rise or exhale to sink a little bit, depending where we are. That's so interesting that that makes a difference. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you where that comes in really handy too in just a second. So the other thing that you have is you have your regulator. Your regulator has two pieces to it. One piece is called your first stage. It connects to the tank. So when you see an air tank, like an oxygen tank, which is what it is, um, or we use a, we actually use a mixed gas called nitrox. The first stage connects to the tank and it has a hose. Part of it connects to your BC, which I was just telling you about, um, that helps you inflate your uh, air into your BC. And then the other goes to your regulator, which is your second stage. And that's the piece that you see in your mouth when you see pictures of scuba divers. And then it has one other piece that connects to a computer. And so I actually have a handheld computer that I'm using that monitors the amount of air I have in my tank, the depth, because you have to pay very close attention when you're on a wall and it's the surface and the abyss below you. And you think about... Um, you're on a sheer cliff, which is what we call a wall. It's really important that you pay attention to your depth because you could easily go way deeper than you should in a recreational dive. So it monitors that. It has a few other things like a, it has a compass and it keeps up with my dive time. And so, and then it keeps up with what we call a surface interval, which is you have to have so much time between dives that you need to be on the surface to get rid of nitrogen bubbles that are in your body when you die, that get into your bloodstream when you dive. Is this just you and your husband at this time? Or is there somebody on the surface like monitoring something? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. My husband and I dive, we're dive buddies. So we're always together. You never, never, never dive alone. That's just bad. But it depends how many are on the boat. We were diving with about 20 other people, which is a lot of people. But we've been on the boat where there's just been four or six of us. And you usually stay fairly close together, but you don't want to be right on top of each other. And you always have what's called a dive master. Think of them as an underwater tour guide. Okay. And they can also help you if you get into an emergency situation. Like we had um, one day last week, we had a girl on the boat and her hose, her oxygen hose that goes from the first stage to her regulator just started leaking Oh, really fast. And so she freaked out just a little bit. The dive master just kind of put a hand on her BC, got a hold of her and just kind of calmed her down, looked at what it was doing and then called her dive buddy over. You actually have what's called an octopus, but it's a spare regulator that's hooked to your tank. So she could remove her regulator, put in the regu- the octopus from her dive buddy. And we call it an octopus because it looks like arms, right? To have these hoses <laughs> going everywhere. And so if you get in trouble with your air, you can actually use the extra and breathe off your buddy's tank. Oh, wow. So what she did is got a hold of her, calmed her down. She wasn't completely out of air, but then called her dive buddy over, got his spare regulator, showed her breathe off of this. She dumped hers, put the other in, and they made a really controlled ascent to the surface. Wow. It's always good to have somebody who has a dive master has extended training in order to be a dive master. And so you always have a dive master with you who's similar to your tour guide. They know the reef. They can show you some of the cooler things on the reef, but they're also there in case of an emergency. Okay. So we were diving with 20, but we've dove with as few as four people, six people, um, which is really, actually really nice. Yeah. (laughs) So I have a bit of a follow-up question here, which kind of segues into the next question that I have for you too. The follow-up question is when you were talking about a very controlled ascent, I know that's important. I don't necessarily know why. Could you talk a little bit about what that looks like, what that means, and maybe segue into how you learned to dive so you know a controlled ascent is very important? 
<laughs> yeah, a controlled ascent means that you were taking a very slow, gradual rise to the surface. A good rule of thumb is you don't want to rise faster than your bubbles go when you exhale. But truly, what that means, um, when you're breathing air from a tank, whether that's nitrox like we dive with, or oxygen from your, just a compressed air tank, your body is storing nitrogen from that air. The faster you go, you don't want that nitrogen to go to your brain. That's what they call the bends. And it actually affects your comprehensive thinking. And with the bends, it can go into your skin. Nitrogen can get into your skin. It can get into your brain. It's very painful. You can actually die from it. And so taking um, a very slow ascent helps you to expel nitrogen from your body as you're rising. Mm -hmm. And then also surface interval helps you to continue your body to continue to expel that nitrogen before you dive again. And you learn all about that in scuba training. So when you do dive lessons, you have a theory portion. So there's book work that you do that you learn all about how nitrogen affects your body, what the equipment is like, how to use the equipment, the pros and cons of diving. I, I love the pros, but there are some very <laughs> serious health risks if you're not doing it correctly. So they're teaching you all of that and theories of diving. You're learning how to calculate what we call dive tables, which tells you based on how deep you go, the amount of time you're down. It helps you calculate how long you need to be on the surface if you don't have a computer that does that for you. So you learn all of that. And then you go into pool time. So in a controlled pool environment, you are learning how to assemble your equipment, how to descend, how to ascend, how to get neutrally buoyant, which means you can hover in the water. You do all of those in a pool and then you do checkout dives. So you go in and, and I honestly can't remember how many, I think I did three dives that weekend, but I honestly can't remember how many checkout dives we did in a weekend. You have skills that you have to demonstrate under the water. For instance, you have to remove your mask under the water and be able to put it back on, clear the water out of it all while you're under the water. Mm -hmm. You have to, be, and, and that's very real because when we were diving with 20 people, you get people that are all around you. People are diving with fins, right? Because you have on fins under the water. It's very easy for somebody to kick you. In fact, I did get kicked in the face one time last week and that can knock your mask off. Mm. And if somebody panics, like the person whose hose started leaking, her regulator started leaking last week, they'll flail. They can easily knock a mask off or they can grab for your regulator because they can't breathe, right? So they want yours. So you have to learn, part, and part of it is demonstrating that you know how to manage those situations. So you have to take your regulator off underwater, or they'll give you all your gear and you have to figure out how to take, how to get it on underwater. So your BC, your tank, get your regulator in your mouth and demonstrate that you can remove your regulator, put it back in, clear the water and keep on breathing. All of those are skills that you have to demonstrate on a checkout dive. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a little scary. I got choked up when I, I took my regulator out and put it back in. Somehow I got choked. Well, I wasn't thinking. We were in a very shallow dive and I didn't feel like I could breathe. So I got a little scared. My dive master, my instructor said, let's surface. So we surfaced and he told me, he said, next time I want you to do that. And I think what happened is I had water in my mask and I got a little strangled trying to clear everything out. He said, next time, just want you to reach up, pinch off your nose with your mask, cough it out on your regulator. Cause I was coughing, but every time I coughed, I took in more water from my mask. Mm -hmm. And so those are the types of skills that you learn in class. Now, it's no big deal. A little bit of water in my mask doesn't really bother me. It just hovers around my nose, right? It's, I'm not breathing through my nose. But I also know if I start coughing, which I did underwater, I have allergies in Texas. We all do. 
And so if I start coughing, I know I can just reach up and pinch my nose and I cough it out through my regulator. So, and that happened some last week, but those are things you learn in your dive classes. And the longer you dive, the more you learn, the more relaxed you become, and you just learn how to handle things like that. So very, very important. No one should ever, ever, ever attempt to scuba dive without instructions. Yeah. And I am also not a fan of resort classes where they let put you in a pool, they show you a few things and you get to make a dive. That's your life. If you want to descend there and some people you shouldn't, they don't go very deep, but some go really deep. They may take you down 60, 80 feet. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot that could potentially go wrong. So I understand your trepidation with a resort class that's very quick and doesn't necessarily take you through the scenarios that you need to know about. Exactly. Something you said in your answer about learning how to dive sparked another question. So I want to follow up on learning to dive with another question. So we'll come back to that one in just a second. (laughs) Okay. You talked about when you were with your dive instructor uh, or your dive master, excuse me, and he said, let's go to the surface. How do you communicate with each other? I was going to ask, is it sign language? Can you talk? (laughs) Yeah. What's that like? It is. And that was an instructor. You have a dive master and you have an instructor. Okay. And it's simply a thumbs up, which we would say like thumbs up. That's cool. Thumbs up underwater means surface. Okay. And so you do have some things. We have symbols for fish. Like if I stick out my, um, my hand with my thumb and finger extended and I kind of you know, go back and forth with it, you know, kind of flutter it, that means turtle. Aww. <laughs> if I take my hand and I put my hand straight up perpendicular to my head, that means shark. Ooh. <laughs> Important to know. <laughs> Sharks are not scary. They're not that scary. They really don't want anything to do with you unless you look like you're a dying fish or a seal, which my, my my scuba gear is black. I always think, do I look like a seal? (laughs) I really don't want to look like a seal. Um, So anyways, sharks are not scared that scary, but we have some different things. Like my husband and I would come up with some of our own symbols. Like if I put my hands up, like, you know, like something's blowing up, like I've extending my hands to us. That means, look, there's a puffer fish. Mm. Uh, (laughs) There's a few standard symbols. When you go, when you first jump off the boat Mm -hmm. uh, and you come back up, you give a big, like you put your hand up on your head, like make a fist and tap it on the top of your head. Or you put your two hands together like a big O. That just tells the person on the boat that you're okay. Meaning my gear's okay. I'm breathing okay. If you do a thumbs down, usually your dive master will say thumbs down because you've got your regulator in your mouth. You can't really talk. And that means let's descend. So yeah, there are a few hand symbols. And then usually if you're diving with the same person over and over, we have, my husband and I have our own language under the water, right? (laughs) We know what it means. And sometimes I look at him and I go, I'm like, I put my hands like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? And so when we get to the surface, he's like, I was trying to tell you. (laughs) But it's just, it's relaxing. It's fun. You come up with your own things. Yeah. Yeah. You have like your own little scuba dialect. I love it. (laughs) Wow. It's sign language. It doesn't make any sense. When you're looking at American sign language, it makes no sense. But to us, it's our own language. So going back to how you learned how to dive How long of a process is it to get through your classes, get through your checkout dives from start to finish? How long did it take you to do all that? Oh, that's changed drastically. Has it? Okay. Yeah, it took six weeks to do my book work Mm -hmm. and classes, another three weeks to go in one night a week to do pool time, and then a weekend to do checkout dives. They don't do any of that anymore. Now you do all of your book work and videos and things online. Mm, okay. And then my son did hit when he did his, he saved all his graduation money to get his certification when he graduated high school and buy his equipment. So he did all of his book work online. He went in for a weekend. I went, I actually went with him. He did a weekend, all day Saturday, half a class in the classroom. And then the other half of the day doing some pool time. 
and doing skills in the pool. And then we went back the next Saturday. It was all pool time. So two Saturdays. And then we went for a weekend checkout dive. Saturday, they did all their skills. And Sunday was just fun dives. So it's a lot faster now. Yeah, sounds like it. And then there's different levels. So we did nitrox at the same time. So nitrox is a mixed gas. It's a little better on your system. And to me, I don't feel as tired diving with nitrox afterwards. It's a safer gas, so less likely for the bends. And then we also did last year in Cozumel, we did our advanced certification. So there are different levels you can do, all working up to dive master, instructor, rescue diver, wreck diver. There's a lot of different certifications that you can get. So we did advanced certification last year. We did all of our book work before we went, or if you're my husband on the plane on the way, I'm like, (laughs) really? Um, (laughs) So... But it worked for him. I I would panic if I had to do it all on the plane. So our first night there, he was finishing his book work. I'm like, you should have done your homework. Um, (laughs) So anyways, you do all of your book work online and watch the videos, do some tests after each section that you have to take. And then um, we did checkout dives. We did five checkout dives while we were there for our advanced certification. Part of that is you pick the path, like you can do navigation, you can do fish identification, you can do ecology, photography. There are several different things you can choose. I wanted to work on buoyancy because that's really critical when you're diving, especially if you're doing like a swim through. So think of a tunnel, like a, I call it a habit trail. Pretend you're a hamster in a habit trail, right? <laughs> and you're going through all these tunnels. But those tunnels are cover, it's rock and coral. So you don't want to bump up against anything because you don't want to damage the coral. And so in Cozumel, there are a whole lot of swim throughs. And I wanted to be able to hover off the sand because I didn't want to make a snow globe for the person behind me. (laughs) Uh, And I didn't want to bump against any of the corals hanging from the top. If you think about like a cave looks, it's the coral grows off of that. So I really wanted to work on buoyancy and navigation. My husband wanted to work on navigation. I still stick with a compass, let's be honest. But anyway, so we worked on a few of those. We did some fish identification, which I love because I love to know what the fish are. And then you do some checkout dives on that. So we passed all of those and got an advanced certification. So it just all depends on what you're doing. So do you see any additional certifications in your future? Would you ever want to be a rescue diver or anything like that? Heck no. Are you kidding? <laughs> I, barely, I, still, I still barely swim. If you want me to, I, I am never going to be a competitive swimmer. No, I can't say that. I love to learn. I absolutely love to learn. Would I ever want to be a dive master? Probably not. Advance got me to where I want to go, but I never thought when I did my first open water, which is my first, your first level, I never thought I'd go on to advanced. But the more I dive, the more I want to learn. We might do, there's a wreck diving certification where if you think of a shipwreck under the sea, you can actually go through that wreck oh. and tour mm-hmm. that. There's some cave diving things that you can do maybe someday, but right now, um, I'm still working on skills I learned and advanced and until I get a little, you know, until I, I feel like I'm ready to learn something new. Who knows? Okay. (laughs) Interesting. Wow. So you already talked about a lot of the tools and the gear that you kind of need to dive with. So I, I maybe I already know the answer to this, but would you consider this an expensive hobby? And if so, are there ways to make it more budget friendly? Like, can you rent this stuff or do you actually have to buy and own it? And what do you have to buy and own? Great question. Can it be expensive? Absolutely. Any hobby can be expensive, right? Those of who are bikers, you know, who, who pedal, you can buy bikes that are thousands of dollars. It can also be budget friendly. So the most expensive part is travel, right? Sure. I don't live near an ocean. So if I'm going to die and you can't dive in lakes in Texas, you just can't see. There's no visibility, meaning I can hold my hand out 
12 inches in front of my face and I may or may not be able to see it, right? So there's a few things. You need a mask. You need fins. I always keep a snorkel. So if I'm on this surface, I switch out of my regulator and into my snorkel. Mm. Those are relatively inexpensive. I could buy all of those for, in, in really good gear, I could get those for $150. Oh, today. okay. Wow. You need a BC. You need a regulator. Your regulator is your lifeline, right? That's your air supply. Can you rent those? Absolutely. The weights, they always have the weights at the dive shop. You don't want to travel with that anyway. So think of, <laughs> yeah. you know, I have a hard time packing everything I need to pack and keeping it underweight. I don't want to <laughs> add extra. So definitely. You always rent your tanks. We always rent our tanks when we get there because they have to keep them serviced and inspected. And you can't fly, you don't fly with an oxygen tank, right? So right. Yeah. But most places, especially your reputable shops, you always want to check out and make sure you're diving with a reputable organization. Those places typically will rent a BC. They'll rent you a regulator. It can be less expensive. We bought ours. I have a dive computer. The most expensive piece of equipment I have is my dive computer. You do not have to dive with a dive computer. We do because it does all of our table calculations. It keeps up with everything for us. But you can use a simple, what we call a console that has a gauge for your air. It has a depth gauge in it and usually a compass. Those are pretty inexpensive. When my son bought all of his, bought all of his gear, and that's everything from mask, fins, snorkel, BC, regulator, and a computer, he spent less than $1,500. Okay. So there's all different levels, all different grades. We added a GoPro last year. So when we went to Cozumel the first time, we bought a GoPro. So those are like $300, right? Do you have to have a camera? No, but I like to have video. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We bought a housing to go so that you could take it. It'll handle the pressure. That was 50 bucks. I mean, it just depends. And for, but for 20 years, we dove with no camera, no video, no anything. It's just you and your memory. It's like any other hobby. It all depends on what you want to spend. Sure. Yeah. And you guys sound pretty invested. If you were just trying it out, I can assume that you can mitigate the cost a little bit better, but you guys are are totally in. So yeah, it's definitely worth it no matter how much you spend. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You can buy new gear. You can buy used gear. The key is if you get used gear, we service every year we have our regulators serviced so that, you know, we make sure. So if you bought used gear, you'd want to make sure you have everything serviced and cleaned up. So there are budget friendly ways to dive as well. Gotcha. So our next question had to do a lot with about the first time you went diving, which you've talked a lot about already. So I'm going to skip to the the next one that we have. And I want to talk about locations that you've traveled for diving. Because like you said, that's probably one of the most expensive factors in your diving hobby. So what are some of the places that you've traveled and what has been your favorite location to date? Well, my first trip was the Cayman Islands. Mm -hmm. And so we dove Cayman Brack which is the middle island. In the Cayman Islands, there are three islands. There's Grand Cayman, which is where everybody goes. And it is Cayman, which most people say Cayman. But if you are born and raised there, you call it Cayman. Cayman Brack is the middle island. That's where my father-in-law was born and raised. And then you have Little Cayman. And Little Cayman reminded, I called it Gilligan's Island the first time I went there, right? Um, I'm showing my age, but they had a grass, they had a grass runway and it is remote, remote, remote. But oh my, (laughs) my favorite place to dive in off Little Cayman is called Bloody Bay Wall. It's a sheer cliff of all different types of coral growing out of it. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it's light. You can see at a hundred foot, I can see just like I'm standing looking out the window. Wow. It's that gorgeous. Then you look out to what I, I call it the abyss, right? You can't see the bottom. <laughs> it's just Oof. blue upon blue. And then something swims out at you. I'm like, Dang. oh, it's so cool. 
And then one time we were diving there, one of our trips to the Cayman Islands, I got right in the middle of, you see pictures of like balls of fish swimming in a circle. Mm -hmm. I got right in the middle of a ball, a fish ball of horseye jack. And so you're like in the middle and it's like all of these fish swirling around you. It was the coolest thing. It's the only time it's ever happened to me, but it was awesome. (laughs) So, and then we dove Florida. Don't recommend it. It's not that great of a visibility. We got on the boat and everybody had these reels of string on them. I'm like, what are those reels of string? I don't get it. Then when we descended, we realized they're connecting that to something on the bottom, a rock, or and they let it free spool because that's how you find your way back oh to the boat. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and there were jellyfish everywhere. <gasps> and at that time, I only dove with my swimsuit and my BC. I didn't have what we call a dive skin, which you think mm. about. You see the suits everybody yeah. wears. I wear one that's about the same thickness as a rash guard just because... I don't like things touching against me and I get a little bit cold, but at that time I only dove in my swimsuit and I'm like jellyfish. Ah. So I was, that was the worst (sighs) dive ever next to a lake. I dove in Texas where I could see (laughs) nothing. I mean, I bumped, I bumped my head against the bank because I couldn't even see it coming. That's how, that's how bad it was. And then we've dove Cozumel. So I haven't been a whole lot of different places. Next year, next September is our 25th anniversary. And I've told my husband, I want to dive somewhere that has huts over the water. I want our room to be in a hut over the water. So yes. I'm letting him choose. But from Texas, Cozumel is a really inexpensive trip. That's $300 flight. And we found some really good deals on resorts, all-inclusive resorts to stay for a week. And then we um, we just met some friends of friends. So we have some great friends. Her brother has a condo there. And he said, you know, y'all can fly down on Friday. We can dive Saturday, Sunday, fly back on Monday <laughs> and stay with us. I'm like, Oh, twist my arm. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great setup right there. Right. right. And Cozumel is the second largest barrier reef in the world. Oh. So it is beautiful next to the Great Barrier Reef. It's it's the next largest and it is beautiful. And they have cool swim through. So you're going through the tunnels, you know, and through the rock and seeing everything inside. It's really awesome. Wow. So you may have covered this already, but for the record, what's the most interesting thing you've seen while diving? Oh, well, I talked about the the fish ball. I talked yes. about the oh, yes. jack. That was the coolest thing, but I have a huge passion for sea turtles. Oh. I love them. And so anytime I can see a turtle, it just makes my dive. Last year in Cozumel, we had just gone down and it's drift diving. So you really don't have to kick. Think of it as being on a conveyor, right? The current is just drifting. You're just drifting with the current. Well, we drifted over this coral head and all of a sudden a turtle, I, I keep saying the size of a Volkswagen. It wasn't <laughs> quite that big, but oh it gosh. was huge. It was probably a four to 500 pound turtle. Wow. Swims up out of this hole in the sand and it swam right over us, almost like an airplane flying over your head, right? Wow. That was incredible. And then an, another dive last year, we saw an eel. Now, I hate snakes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you're listening and you're a snake fan. I I respect you completely, but I personally hate snakes. And this eel was every bit of six foot long. It was the biggest Maurice I've ever seen in my life. So you have this big, bright green snake. My husband turns around and he said, I turned around to show you and all I saw was your, I have hot pink fins. He said, all I saw was your fin. I said, all I saw was snake. <laughs> and I am gone. So, but looking back, it was kind of cool. We saw, um, we saw a couple of reef sharks that were swimming around us on a dive. We've seen nurse sharks. Nurse sharks are bottom feeders. They're harmless. 
but anytime I can see a turtle, my, my day is made. I know I always liked seeing the turtles in the Omaha aquarium exhibit at the zoo. (laughs) (laughs) Those were one of my favorite parts too. Well, imagine (laughs) swimming with them. Yeah, I I can't. (laughs) It sounds amazing. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's so cool. You guys would love it. So every dive is different. You never know what you're going to see. So that's the coolest part. Yeah. So I would love to know, you've talked a lot about your experiences learning to dive and then actual dives that you've done. Have you learned anything surprising about yourself since you started this hobby? I have learned I'm a little braver than I thought I was. And I was terrified. And honestly, I I was somewhat afraid of water because I hadn't grown up around it, right? I would kind of panic. My mom still, if she gets her head underwater, panics. That's the family I grew up in. I don't swim. I'm not a strong swimmer. So what has really surprised me is that I love to dive. And it's it's one of those skills. My dive master said, You are I don't you're a great diver. And I found my husband who's been diving for years, I laugh at him because I'm like, I'm never gonna finish a tank, right? You go you go down with three thousand pounds, you're supposed to come up with five hundred. We come up when he's on 500 or sometimes 300. <laughs> and he's like, how much air you have? I was like, I still have a thousand pounds or I have 1200 pounds. He's like, do you breathe underwater? <laughs> I'm like, I, I do. But what surprises me is that I get so relaxed underwater. It's like almost when you're sleeping, right? Your breathing slows down, your heart rate slows down. That's me underwater. I would have never in a million years told you that I could ever do that. But it's just a God thing. I mean, that is where he gives me peace and it's under the sea. Wow, that that does sound amazing. I, I couldn't picture myself underwater like that either, but I would definitely need the courage to get started. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Find a buddy that'll hold your hand. That's all I can say. (laughs) So maybe for me or anyone else who can relate to that, what advice would you give to someone who maybe wants to learn how to scuba dive but isn't sure how to get started? I would just try it. You can do some Discover Scuba classes where it'll give you just a little bit of training and let you try it very shallow, very controlled. My daughter, for instance, just announced to us that she wants to get certified for next year and go with us. I think she just wants a free trip to Cozumel. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that made our day because now our son's certified, our daughter will be certified, and Mark and I are certified. What got her hooked is she went to Disney World and she did a snuba class. Snuba you're putting on a helmet that's complete, that's waterproof, and you're breathing to a line attached to the surface. Okay. So it's a little different. It's very controlled on how deep you can go. But when she realized everything that you could see at just 30 feet, 30 feet was the maximum she could go down like that. She was like, it was incredible. So watch some videos, talk to people who dive. You know, you can you can do all kinds of investigation online and start out slow. Try snorkeling. See what you think about looking under the water that way. That's what intrigued me when I saw what I could be doing and got an idea of that. I was like, I absolutely loved it. And you get more confident, right? So the more you do it, just like any other skill, the more you learn, the more you practice, the better you get. But Try what you can do. Do some very controlled, um, always check out a reputable organization and give it a shot. See what you can do. Wow. That is excellent advice for anyone who's looking to get started on their own scuba journey. Thank you so much, Felicia, for coming on the podcast and talking about this amazing hobby and your experience with it. Because I feel like a lot of our listeners are in a similar position to you where Maybe they don't do swimming, they don't do water, Mm -hmm. but they might want a little encouragement to try something new and get out of their comfort zone a little bit. So hearing your story, I think helps with that uh, immensely. Yes. (laughs) So I saw a shirt. I have to tell you one last thing. I saw a little boy wearing a shirt in Cozumel and it had a pair of fins on the back and it said, not all athletes wear shoes. I went, that's it. 
I can be an athlete. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So anyway, so, you know, for those of us who don't like to wear shoes, how's that? Um, (laughs) I love it. We'll take it. uh, Ladies, thank y'all so much. How fun. Now I want to go dive again. (laughs) Um, So thanks for letting me talk about my hobby. As you can tell, I'm very passionate. I love, Mm -hmm. love, love it. My favorite place to be, I always say, my favorite place to be is under the sea. Yeah. If any of your listeners have questions, call me. I'll talk to you and tell you anything you want to know. Awesome. If you want to go to Cozumel and you want some tips on who to dive with or where to stay, call me. Maybe I'll even go with you. Um, <laughs> there I you go. I assure you I can convince Mark Leach to go anytime. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I appreciate y'all. Thank you so much for letting me talk today. Thank you for being on the podcast. This has been an awesome conversation. Well, Raquel, I learned so much about the world of scuba diving from Felicia. I'm so happy we had her on the show. Yeah, It's so amazing. I didn't know all of that went into scuba diving. I'm not a big water sport person, but I don't know. She sounded the the views that she talked about from under the water. I don't know. I might be thinking about something. <laughs> uh-huh. Sounds very peaceful, very relaxing. So yeah. might have to check that out in the future. Now it's time for our segments and hey. I'm really excited. We have a submission to share for awesome. what someone is loving. Today's submission comes from Ginger Reed, who is the Director of Value Added Products and Operations for Facts SIS, and here's what she's loving right now. Us Texans are new to this, but I am loving Dutch Bros Coffee, and she also makes sure to say that it's not brothers, but bros. (laughs) They're based out of Oregon, and we got our first one in Fort Worth last week, and she says, I might have visited them so far every day since they opened <laughs> and some days twice in one day. Wow. <laughs> uh, there's so much more than coffee, though. They have teas, lemonades and so much more. I'm scared my husband might be more afraid because they're in the process of building one that will be less than one mile from my house compared <laughs> to the one I am visiting daily that is over two and a half miles away. <laughs> uh, so she says, check them out if you ever see one. Definitely don't have a Dutch Bros in my area. Is there one in Lincoln, Raquel? No, I haven't. Honestly, I haven't heard of that coffee chain. Okay. Well, if I ever come across one, Ginger, I am definitely getting a coffee from there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Raquel, what are you loving right now? Well, funny to say, Ginger's loving Dutch Bros. I am just loving coffee at this moment. <laughs> and maybe I've talked about my love for coffee before, but right now I feel like it's serving more of a purpose than it usually does. And maybe it always served this purpose and I'm just noticing it now, but You know, things are a little bit crazy out there still, and my kids just started school uh, recently, and so I've just been trying to hold on to things that are comforting and telling me everything's going to be fine, don't worry, and that's definitely my morning cup of coffee. I am partial to Starbucks coffee. I love its robustness and I love its flavor, but honestly, any dark roast is going to satisfy my morning coffee cravings. And I am just the kind of person that likes to drink it black and hot. If it's not hot in the morning, it doesn't feel like I've done my coffee in the morning. I need Mm. it to be a hot cup of black coffee every morning and mostly it's two cups every morning, but... (laughs) I rehydrate myself and drink a big glass of water. So I work on my ice water and then it's like, okay, I'm ready for my coffee. Even when it's super hot outside, the hot cup of coffee is just soothing and it just makes me relax and ready for the day. The caffeine kicks in and I can I can do anything I put my mind to after that. So I am too also loving coffee. And if I ever come across a Dutch Bros, I will definitely give them a try. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, I think you have a book recommendation for us. I do. Yay. So I recently went on a little family vacation. We went to Texas for a family wedding. While I was down there, I read Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. 
I've seen this book in other places and it was actually recommended to me by a friend. She read it and loved it. Uh, And it was right up my alley, to be honest. My friend knows me really well and gives me great book recommendations. (laughs) But here's what this book is about. So the main character is Noemi Taboada, and she is a debutante in 1950s Mexico. So she loves parties, expensive things, but she's also got a scholarly side to her. She has a dream to be an anthropologist and wants to get a degree in anthropology. Hmm. And that's pretty unheard of for women during that time. What happens is her father receives a very frantic, garbled letter from Noemi's cousin, Catalina, about how she's in danger in her new husband's home. Her father isn't sure, does he believe Catalina, or is this just something, like, is she sick and that's how it's coming out? So he sends Noemi to find out what's going on with her cousin. Her cousin lives in this huge old mansion in the Mexican countryside. It's very isolated. Uh, There's nothing really around the house except for the family. Her cousin's husband and his, I believe his aunt, and there's a few other people that, that live in the house with them, but they're pretty isolated and the house is very mysterious. Mm. Noemi's job is to try to find out what's going on with her cousin, find out if she needs help and also figure out the house because the house is also kind of a character in the story. It's very mysterious. It's very intriguing, but there's also a kind of a sense of underlying evil or malicious presence that Mm. she is not sure. Is this real or am I making this up? This was a really good book. It was a quick read for me. I finished it in a matter of a few days because it's very attention gripping. The story's good. And it's just a little bit different than what you are used to reading in that suspense or mystery category. Sure. I also like it, too, because it talks a lot about some Mexican culture in that time frame. And you get to learn a little bit about the culture. Uh, and I just found that so interesting as a, an additional element to this cool. mystery story. Yes, it was very cool. Highly recommend Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. Huge thanks again to Felicia for coming on the podcast and telling us all about her experience learning how to scuba dive and how she learned to love it. That was so interesting. So thank you for your time and your expertise, Felicia. One last thing before we go for today, we are going to take a bit of a break from our long running series on the NBS roles. Mm -hmm. We just want to dedicate more time on our podcast to share associate stories. Mm -hmm. What we want to do, today's episode was all about hobbies and interests. So we need your help to continue that series. If you have a hobby or an interest to share, what we would love for you to do is complete the form in TGIF as a companion to this episode to tell us a little bit about your hobby or special interest and let us know if you want to be interviewed about that. Yeah, We want to share all kinds of different stories. If your hobby is something maybe more conventional, like you play an instrument or if it's something out there, like you skydive on a regular basis. <laughs> Whatever it is, we want to talk to you about it. So let us know if you're interested. And if you are, we'll set up an interview with you so you can come on the show and tell us all about it. We'd love to talk to you and share your story. Definitely. Thank you all so much for listening. And we will catch you in the next episode.